Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Team Building Podcast, where you learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. And we have a phenomenal guest here today. We're talking about how to run an investment side of your business in parallel with your residential real estate team, as well as how to grow and do more transactions next year without necessarily adding more people. And our guest today is Jennifer Spencer out of Raleigh, North Carolina. We'll bring her in in just a second. First, we have the man, the myth, the legend, the ever-shrinking man himself, Jeff Cohn, is here. Jeff, what's up today? Here we go. Super excited about this call. You know, it's funny, agents are always so concerned with how to learn how to sell real estate. And then the evolution is how to run a real estate sales team of people that sell real estate. And the final part of that is how to invest in residential and commercial real estate. So I myself have gotten into that over the last two years, buying over 50 doors. Um, I've had a lot of successful flipping, wholesaling, retailing, and um, now holding a majority of our properties. And we're gonna get to learn from Jennifer how she's done that. So Jennifer, thank you so much for jumping on our podcast today. And if you don't mind, why don't you start off by letting our audience know a little bit more about your team, how you're set up, and how your success has been over the last couple of years. Well, thanks for having me here. I'm um, glad to be here. And I've been in real estate for 22 years. I have a team of 15 people. Um, uh, we, everyone on the team specializes in their roles. We have a listing broker. We have four buyer agents. We have an inside sales agent, a marketing coordinator, a field manager slash property manager, a bookkeeper, a marketing coordinator. I'm not sure if I said that one already. Um, and it's uh, and we do our team does close to 200 transactions a year. Okay, and how many agents? So, we have, gosh, out of the 15, I think 11 are agents. Okay. You said you had an ISA as well? Yes. An internal sales agent? Okay. Right. Any virtual yet? No, no, okay. no virtual. Okay. So cool. That's awesome. So what did you guys end up closing out last year and where will you end up this year? We're going to, last year we did 100 84 transactions and we're going to be and, and we're we're having our best year we've ever had this year a little bit higher than we were last nice. year not not a whole lot more is the market um, up or down in your marketplace right now right now i'd say it's i'd say as of this moment it's there's a little bit of a pullback it's slowing yeah. down a bit yeah. um, we're seeing that but too. overall uh, for the year I th we're we're up okay um, for two for 200 sides in north carolina you said you're in the raleigh area Yes. Is that right? What's your um, commission? What's your typical gross commission then for 200 sides? Do you know where you're at? Well, our average sale price the last two years has hovered right around 330,000. This okay. year, our average sale price was 378. So our commission wow. ends up some, you know, somewhere between eight to 10,000. Hmm. We have a little bit of a unique situation here in that commissions um, are not split evenly between. Um, listing side and buyer side and I don't know of any other city that does that. <laughs> How do you uh, well, split it? Like that. Yeah. 60/40. Listing side keep 60. Yeah, for example, um, you know, my in my case I might list um, a property for 6% and then I would uh, offer the buyer agent 2.4%. Yep. And that would be so competitive that, in this market. Yep. 
You're right. Yeah. That is really unique. Um, that okay. is how they do it in Omaha, Nebraska as well, but there's not a lot oh, of markets really? across okay. the country that do it that way. Okay. And that's great when you're in a seller's market. It sucks right. when you're in a buyer's market. That's um, right. Do you guys, that's if you have sales within the brokerage, do you split it 50-50 or we within do. the team? Uh, within the brokerage, no. I'm sorry. I misunderstood the question. No, we, it's it's the same same type of split. Um, our, the way the brokerage works is almost everyone on my team is salary based. Now my buyer agents are not salary based, but our splits are a little different. Their splits are lower because they do not do lead generation and they don't do contract to close. So their role is from the time the appointment is scheduled, they meet with a, a client, a prospective buyer, and they take them all the way through showing them houses and negotiating an offer to purchase. But once they go under contract, the buyer uh, then works with the closing broker. So when so, you say they don't generate leads, all the leads are coming from your sphere of influence and your internal sales agent and your internet lead generation efforts. That's right. So what happens if a lead does come from their sphere of influence? They get compensated They would the same receive way. a referral fee for that. So in addition okay. to their normal split, they would get a referral fee. Do you mind um, sharing with our audience what your average agent's salary is and then how they're compensated like in a commission sense? They're all a averaging between 80000 and 120000 a year. Yeah. And the way we do the split is they earn 35% of what the, what the firm earns. Okay, so they get 35% net in addition to their salary. No, I'm sorry. There's, they're, they're, they are 100% um, commission. Okay. But they earn, their, their earning, their annual earnings in a year are between eighty and 120000 Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so you don't have agents that are getting paid salary. My listing broker is. My inside okay. sales agent is receiving a salary. Right. The closing it's brokers the are four, salary. It's just but the four buyer buyer's agents, agents that are. Yeah, it's just the you've got four buyers agents. Those are the only ones that are commission only, right? That's right. That's right. But yeah. still, to your point, they're on average they're getting 35% of the net that the company earns. But right. to your point, they're not having to do lead gen. They're not doing contract to close. They get to focus on going on appointments, signing exclusive agency agreements, putting buyers under contract. They're not even going on listing appointments, right? Those are that's your buyer that's right. sales team. Okay. That's and then right. your listing partner, who you're sending all your listing leads to that come through the pipeline and your sphere, they're just getting a, a flat salary and maybe a small bonus every listing sale. Exactly. So okay. so she she gets an annual salary and then every time she Get, she takes a new listing, she gets a bonus, $150 bonus. And when the listing closes, she gets another $150 bonus. Okay. But so we're going to 100 listings. Yep. So you know, it adds up. Right. And it all goes, all of them go to her, right? right? She lists everything on your team. That's right. Okay. And I've heard of this model, and this model works great for people that, you know, that want to have a, a buyer sales force and a listing sales force. And this is going kind of in line with MREA. Are you with Keller Williams? No, I have. I've never been affiliated with a franchise before. I'm really? only ever been Spencer Properties. So okay, awesome. So this is kind of the mindset of Gary Keller. He would talk about having you know subject matter experts and buyers agents, listing agents, outbound salespeople, and I think that model works great. The challenge I've had, and I'm always going to bring up a little bit of contradictory, just for our listeners to get to choose which route they want to go. But I feel like the challenge for us has been retaining strong buyers agents who want to list property. So how have right. you guys handled that with the four buyer specialists? They're making 80 to 120 a year, but what if they say, well, Jennifer, I have all these listing opportunities that I'm getting paid a referral fee on. I want to keep the whole commission. I don't want to just get the referral fee. How have you handled that? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to selecting the right team members. I think right. if you want someone who's going to generate their, be a lead generation source, 
you have to hire high D personalities in the disc profile. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the type of people that we've hired to be buyer agents. They are excellent negotiators, excellent relationship people. Um, but they're high not, S's. they're high, all high S's mm -hmm. and they, um, they're, they're very, very good in their role. They really enjoy being out with the buyers. They don't want to be handling all the other parts of the business. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't really care about doing uh, the repair negotiations. They don't really care about coming in and doing lead generation calls. So they love that they can make, and this, I think this is the key piece. If, a, if an agent can make a hundred thousand dollars a year doing the parts of the job they love best, they stay and my, my buyer agents have been with me, you know, five and eight, five to eight years, all of them. Um, wow. and I don't foresee that changing. I mean, they, I think they'll stay with me for the duration. Sure. Do you, do you have any, I love their job. Do you have any idea, um, for gross commission income that came into your brokerage or onto your team? Do you know how much commission you're paying out to the agents? And that could be salaried positions on the buyer's agent side, com compensation on the listing agent side. Do you know how much overall is, is um, commission paid like, out to the agent? Jeff, just to clarify the question, as a percentage of like, yeah, so what are you, what are you paying for labor? So, basically? for example, on our team, and anyone listening, this is a great practice for you as well to know if your business could be successful without you personally selling, because a lot of team leaders are rainmakers selling as well. You have to consider take yourself out of the wheel if you're tallying it up. But like our team last year did 3.2 million in gross commission. We paid out 71% of that in agent commissions. And so right. our organization kept 29%. And then, of course, we have overhead and everything else. We ended up netting about 20%. And so what's interesting, and the point I wanted to make before you respond, Jennifer, is every team can set up their comp plan however makes the most sense for them and the way they hire and the culture that they've created. But at the end of the day, there's a pattern that I've, ke I've seen time and time again with top teams and brokerages. And usually that number that they pay out to agents as an average is around 70% of their gross commission income. Right. And I think based on what you've told me, I think you pay out less, which is great for you. If you can continue to maintain so, that. So yes, um, I'm just doing, I was just running, I've never calculated the percentage, but I can tell you my, my payroll is about 40,000 a month. But that, does that include 12. the salary? Does that include the salary you're paying your admin as well? Yes, the payroll. So that's, yeah. that's all, that's my, my payroll, but that doesn't include what I'm paying the buyer agents. So the buyer agents, is another quarter million dollars a year. So what does that end up being? Forty thousand a month is four eighty, right? And so half a million plus another. So about seven hundred fifty thousand of my. Let's see. I think our GCI this year is going to be right at one point eight million. So. Mm -hmm. So about 50%. Let's just say 50%, almost okay. 50%. And it's interesting, the first year I ran my team, back in 2012 was my first full year, and we paid out 60% in agent commissions because a lot of people worked our internet leads at a 50-50 split. We allow our agents to go all the way up to an 80-20 with their sphere leads. And since it's been a seller's market, our agents have gravitated away from our internet leads. We only did 15% from internet leads this year. And majority of their wow. business is coming from their sphere, which is great for them because they're making more. But to my bottom line, I've gone from 60 to 71% getting paid out to agents. That's an 11% loss on $3 million. It's 330 grand that I technically lost. And so the solution to that is finding more agents to work my internet leads, which is what I'm working yeah. on right now. So let's segue into that. Um, and this is a fun exercise that everyone can kind of think about when they look at what they're paying out to agent commissions. The segue I'd like to have is off the record, uh, before we came on live, we were talking a little bit about the growth of our teams. And you had mentioned that you really don't wanna have to grow in agent count. You'd rather continue to grow your business and grow their business 
So talk to that mindset, because I've always been a big believer of if you want to double your sales, double your agent count. And if you want to double again, double your agent count again. What's your mindset behind kind of keeping the sales team how it is today, but continuing to help them grow? And how are you going to do that? Right. Well, part of how we're structured is everything that we do, we do under one, under my name. So it's where your husband in the background. That is my husband. Hi, sweetie. (laughs) Hey, buddy. Did you put up the Christmas tree? Did he put put the Christmas tree up? What's up? How are you? (laughs) He's a good sport. Tell him 10,000 people just saw him do a thumbs up. (laughs) I'll tell him. I'll pass that on. Um, But where we are is everyone on the team does business under, under my name. So we're acting really as one agent. We've taken one agent's job and split it 15 ways. And in order to, to operate cohesively and with great communication and to deliver really high-level client service, um, I think we're a good size. I think once we get any bigger, the communication will become difficult. Um, the other piece to it is, you know, what I'm looking to do, I want to retain, we've already talked about retaining the right. agents on the team. In order to retain them, I want to be able to continue to, to pay them well and pay them more. I, I know some of my math wasn't adding up before. I said four buyer agents making a quarter million dollars a year, but I do have one buyer agent who's semi-retired. Mm-hmm. So she she just kind of fills in for the others. So I should say I have three full-time buyer agents. Okay. Um, to keep everybody, I want to be able to keep, you know, I want their jobs and roles to grow and their salaries and, and commission income to grow. And we have really got it dialed down with our ex, our specialization where we've got the capacity to do more business without adding without adding any more people to the team. And that keeps right. the team in communicating well, working well, so less there, for it, me to manage because I think right. the you know the more people I manage the the more um the more difficult my job is. So I I it's it's really working well and I want to keep that in place but continue to grow yeah. with the number we have in so place. So it's it's a great point you bring up and I know a lot of people struggle with this. It's, it's ultimately you haven't made you haven't reached your point of diminishing returns. You haven't gotten everything out of every person in every position right. and you feel like That's there right. can be growth. The challenge is is when every one of those buyer specialists and your listing specialists have no more time. They're putting right. in their 50 hours a week or and 10 hours a week whatever they've dedicated. But and you're happy Yep, you're good with the dollar amount you're able to generate and your current role. Our audience, there are people listening that think, okay, well, you've built this beautiful system, this wheel, if you will. You can hire people to manage. You've you've leveraged everything else. You can hire someone else to manage, and your focus could be making sure if you doubled your team size or tripled your team size that those 700 clients you represent in 2019 get the exact same service, if not better service, than what your clients got in 2018. And that's where my my mindset had to shift when I was still servicing deals. In 2014, I quit servicing altogether, and I ran your model for two years, and it worked great for us. But we got to this point where I was like, okay, we'll continually sell 50 million, you know, and I'll keep making three, 400 grand, but I wanted to make a million dollars net. That was always my number. And right. someone I'm really close to said, Jeff, what if you just doubled your team size? And it was such an easy comment, but I'm like, dude, you know what that would mean to have to double my, co-? you know, I had 24 agents. I'm like, to have 50 right. agents, that'd be insane. And so now I'm at 50 agents and guess what? I want to double my team size again. Yeah. So my goal is to yeah. be at a hundred agents and just continue to grow. But I, you've made a, a bunch of great points and there's probably more people in your camp saying, screw that. I don't want 50 agents. I'd rather have like five or six ninjas 
that I'm really happy with and I don't want to have to grow that much bigger. Right. I'm just kind of a freak of nature and I'm just like, I don't want to ever stop growing. I want to keep adding and adding and adding and bringing more value to all these additional agents and, that choose to plug and in. And I may room. get to, I may get to that point as well. Um, I, my vision now is 300 transactions, 300 closed transactions with 15 people in 2020. So. And that would be what, huge. That's 33% increase. Yeah, right. That'd be huge. And and yeah. I and I really believe and we've we've spent time as a team figuring out how we can do 300 transactions with 15 people and we've got it we've got it figured out. Um, there's a couple of people that are part time now that are going to be going full time because their children will be getting a little older. And anyway, we've got it figured out how we can keep our 15 people and do the 300 transactions. Um, yeah. Right now, you know, and I, I read Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Agent too, and of course the idea of netting a million dollars a few years ago when I read that, I don't know if it was seven or eight and 10, when it yeah. was, I read it, but um, I said the idea of that seemed outrageous. And, and here I am, you know, here I am where I'm to it. that point or very yeah. close. I mean, I, I, I get real close to that, that yep. net every year and I'm good. I mean, I'm good. Yeah. I just, you know, I, at this point, and I've said this to my team, I'm good with, with, with the profitability of the firm and what I'm making and, I'm down to where I, I work about two days a week, which is another was another goal of mine. Yep. I'm I'm in a good place. What I'm want what I'm doing now, the growth of 300 transactions, is because I want to be able to pay everybody on my team really well, really I well. Love because it. you're I don't coming from a place change. of contribution. You're good. You want to make sure everyone else within your organization is good, and that's a true sign of a, a true leader. So. I think that's awesome, Jennifer, that that's yeah. kind of well, where your focus is at. I think there's something that you said there, Jennifer, where you said that the whole team has sat down together. And I think that's one of the things that if you watch an organization that, that grows only by adding people, it can be hard to get the buy-in of the people who are already there. So that there always still has to be something in it for the people that are already there to should, to sell them the vision on how they can continue to grow, even if your main focus is adding people like it is for Jeff. So, Jeff, you have an interesting challenge where you have to keep selling and reselling your own admin team, your own leadership on the virtues of growing yep. and how their their role fits into that. Jennifer, you have the advantage of saying, look, we're not going to add a whole bunch of new people. It's about you guys. Like, how can we grow you guys in your business? And let's sit down together and figure out how we can do that. And you've already identified the areas where you have more capacity, right, both on the service and the sales side. So maybe maybe there's, you know, a another ISA or something like that that might come into play at some point or another closing coordinator. But those can grow, but the agent count can stay the same, which I think is really interesting, and that, that will allow you to net more. And then there's the investment side, which we haven't even got to yet, because you're essentially running an investment business, which is how you started, in parallel with the team. So how are you guys incorporating the investment side into this? Because I feel like there's probably a lot of opportunities there to increase and do more per deal if you start working in more of the investment side. Right. Well, the, you know, for me, a big part of the goal has always been passive income and is, you know, I'm thinking, I'm projecting forward as I age and my husband ages, how do we, um, how do we ensure that we have an income, you know, and, and, and as we, as we want to or need to work less. So, um, that's where the investment properties come in is they, that's, they, they give us that passive income. And, um, our, our original goal was, we want to have 10 rental houses by the time we retire. So that'll, you know, averaging $1,500 a month, you know, between 10, uh, between a, uh, 1,000 and 1,500 a month, that gives us $12,000 a month income. You know, we could live on that. Well, yeah. then we, so we bought the first 10 back when we were 
in our 20s. And then we said, you know what? <laughs> this is a really good way of, of earning passive income. So now we're, you know, we've continued to add to that. And, um, and I love, I don't really want to pay off the properties. I want them to always be leveraged. So that's why I'm, I mentioned earlier when we were talking before the show that we have, um, we bought 27 properties this year that we paid cash, but we want to pull out half of the equity in those houses and have those leveraged. So in two years, we will, um, we will take that, that equity out of those homes and invest it into new properties and continue to leverage that way over time. Yep. Because, um, you know, just so we can see a better return on those, on the, on that investment. Yep. That's we awesome. Still have a pretty yeah. decent cash flow. I'm curious, Jeff, because we talked about, Jennifer, you and I talked a little bit about 1031 exchanges. And I, I don't, Jeff, you and I have literally never brought up the topic of 1031 exchanges on the show in the history of the show. We have not. Are you guys, are you guys messing around with 1031 exchanges in the investment acquisition side of the business much? Uh, my team, or are you asking Jennifer? Uh, yours. yours. Yeah, so I, my position on 1031s, just for the audience to know, this is the in a nutshell um, explanation, is the profit or the sale price that you have of a property, if you take that money and the profit and turn right around and buy another property of equal or higher value, then the IRS doesn't charge you any sales tax um, on the profit that you earn off of your sale. Our goal is acquisition, just like Jennifer's. So we flip this year, our goal is to flip next year, 2019, our goal is to flip 100 properties. When I say that, we want to acquire 100, we want to hold 50 and flip the other 50. And we're doing that essentially to cover our debt obligation, um, our tax liability on the acquisition side. So we have a really okay. strat strategic way we're going about our acquisition because of the funding that we found. But Jennifer, I totally agree with you on leverage and I love the 50%. That's where I think somebody should be, because even if we see a huge shift, you're covering your debt obligation, you know, that month to month revenue that you have coming in. And this strategy is a no brainer for anyone listening that hasn't started doing it. I love that you said you did it in your 20s. I did the same. Your first 10 homes, the thing that we all have access to that people don't know is your first 10, you can get on 30 year fixed conventional loans. That's a huge give that the government gives us to invest in 10 homes. <clears throat> and there's no dollar amount connected to that. So you could invest in 10 $200,000 houses or $150,000 houses. So you should at least have 10 homes on a conventional. A question I was going to ask you, Jennifer, is if you did that, and then also, can I don't know, can both spouses have 10 homes? Can you have 10 and can your husband have 10? My guess is you only can have 10 as a couple, but I'm not sure. Do you guys have anything right now You know, now that's an interesting question. I, I always assumed it was just 10 per couple, but that's, if, I we, would think so. if, we, if we applied for them separately... <laughs> I, I would try to. So where I was going with this is <clears throat> screw the 50% position. You could go right now if you bought all those with cash and pull 80% of the value out, not have to pay PMI and take, I mean, you have, I don't know how many houses you have all paid off, but you 80%, man, you could buy a lot more property. <clears throat> be it that we're in a shifting market, it might not be the best timing right now unless you're buying them right. But it is something <laughs> that we're continually looking at as we spend right. the money. Um, well, we, we, yep. When mm -hmm. we started out, our first houses, we were able at that point to get loans 10% on an, down on an investment property, and we had them all leveraged you know, 90%, um, which was um, too tight. It was too, too tight. tight. It was, it's tight. That's tight. I mean, every rent check <laughs> mattered. Every single yep. thing was there was yeah. there was no well, they were break even. I mean, they were we were there was no positive cash flow, but we weren't yep. subsidizing them either. Either, but boy, it was tight. There was no room for error. So I've, I have gone back and forth between where is the ideal leverage uh, point because 
you know, there is a lot of appeal to the numbers look so much better when you're leveraging them 80%. Yeah. Um, but the cash, cash flow is not as good. So it's just kind of a matter of, of and, and there's well, higher risk, you know. I so. loved your mindset on how you're choosing to build your team out. And I think that that same mindset should be applied to how you build your rental property portfolio. You should get to a point where you say, you know what, I think we're good here. The only time I, I can see that break down, because my number used to be 100 doors, and now my number is 1,000 doors. And the reason for that is I can get to 100 doors and then start paying them down. But if I can find properties that I can acquire at 30% below market, which is what I'm averaging right now, it would be stupid not to purchase those properties. So right. I think we get into this cycle. When you build a machine to buy 100, that machine's not just going to go away. That would be, right. that'd be craziness. The other thing is um, you don't have to pay tax. If you acquire a property, so like right now, and I'm curious how you guys do this on your end, but we will go and we'll get fully funded from a bank. As long as we can find property for 15% below market, they'll loan us up to 85% of the after appraised value, not off of my purchase price, which a lot of national franchises or banks are going to require it to be based on a purchase price. So if I find a house for 15% below market, I can fully fund it. We're finding homes 30% below market and we're getting $20,000 checks written to us at closing. We're making 20 on average on our flips and our wholesales, but we have to pay taxes on the 20 if we flip it. If we hold it and the bank gives us 20%, we're still in a strong equity position, 15% usually, and we get a check for 20,000 that's non-taxed. Just like if somebody listening to this would refinance their home loan or do a HELOC and pull 20, 30,000 equity out of your house, you don't pay taxes on that. Right. So that's been a really interesting strategy for us to then go and acquire flip property with that money. So back, back to Matt's question full circle, we don't do the 1031, but we are pulling money out that's non-taxed by pulling it out of the equity and the property through the financing. Okay, that makes sense. All right, so Jennifer, you've got a little bit of a structure with your team where you've got some sharing of resources and a couple people that kind of do work for both. So let's talk about that for a brief second. Yes, we have my field manager is the one who's our runner and also is the property manager. Uh, and then I have a bookkeeper who does the the keeps the books for both properties or both companies. So there's a, yeah. some overlap there. Well, and when we're identifying properties, I rely on buyer, the buyer department um, to identify the properties. We, we generally, you know, just it's, it's more of a mathematical process where they just run comps and look for the cap rate and, and identify the properties. We usually make offers sight unseen, but, um, and then I do have an inspection specialist who goes out and inspects the property for me once we have it under contract. Um, to make so you, sure where I go. You don't have a specific buyer specialist who is 100% responsible for the rental acquisition side of, your, of things? They all are part of that? I do have one person who's, um, it's actually my, my buyer side closing broker who does mm -hmm. the analytics on identifying okay. properties. Is your sight unseen offer more of like an LOI or a letter of intent? And then once it's accepted, it's more of like a verbal acceptance and then you go and do your inspections? We just we just use a standard offer to purchase and contract, and okay. we we do zero due diligence, but we have a usually a three day due diligence period, just enough time for my inspection uh, specialist to go out and take a look, and um, and then we usually close within we let the seller pick the close date, but right. you know five or six days, ten days, whatever we need. What percentage of these homes you've acquired have come from just the simple process of going after traditional listings and having sellers in situations where they're willing to sell for up below market and you're buying those? Are a lot of these leads Very coming few. from that? Okay. Very so few. What it, um, we, we I know all our listeners would like to know where are they coming from? Where? How did you acquire 30 houses in a year? That's really impressive. It, we just go through the analytics and we, if, 
you know, we just, of analytics of I'm, I'm asking what the audience wants you to say. So analytics of what the houses on the MLS Craigslist, are you sending out postcards, making out direct dials, Google ads, where I'm the getting, leads we've, from? we've got almost everything through and well, I'd say almost everything came through MLS. May, I had so, probably six properties that didn't. So how are you winning? How are you winning on those? Because in my market and most markets, I've talked to other agents that buy a lot. There's just too many investors on the MLS. So a lot well, of investors across the country are having more success outside of the MLS. So how are you winning in the MLS? The way I the way I won those properties was we made an offer that was fair, fair market value. Mm -hmm. So you're buying mm -hmm. yours 30% below value. We paid fair market value. Okay. We um we said we're buying them as is. We're not going to have an inspection. We're not going to have an appraisal. We're going to pay mm -hmm. cash. You pick the close date. We can close as quickly as seven days from now. Um and no and a three day due diligence period. So okay. So in your marketplace, on average, what do homes rent for if they're purchased at market? Because there's some places in the country. If you bought at market, you're going to be upside down. Your cash flow is going to be upside down. A lot of places. And and that's the criteria for choosing a property. I'm looking for it's pretty pretty basic. I look at purchase. Um, I look at rent minus taxes minus HOA HOA fees. Mm -hmm. um, I want that to be 0.7% of the purchase 0.7% of the purchase price. Okay. So what does that, that end up? 0.7% of the purchase price needs to be rent minus HOA minus taxes. That's okay. it. Okay. And then they cash flow. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's great. You can find them on the MLS. Do you also try to make sure you're the first in, like, or do you do yeah, you look we, up property we, that are three months old so that they, the seller's nervous it's not going to sell, or are you going day one and trying to buy it, you know, cash sight unseen? We did we did both. We if we saw something new on the market, we'd move quickly. You know, when, since we didn't have to see the property, we would just we would make the offer right away. And if we saw something that had been sitting on the market for a while, we said, well, this is a good opportunity. Um, generally, those are, we're, we're not offering list price, so you know you have to get through that hurdle. But um, yeah, you know we and we went out on a lot of homes offering. I say we offered fair market value. It doesn't mean we offered list price. Um, no, of course not. But we set usually we just, list price is not fair market value. <laughs> True. <laughs> so we uh, we um, we based it on what the rent. We looked at the rental comps and based our price yeah. on that. And if they were interested in the offer based on what made sense. To us, um, that we would move forward. Just for a lot our listeners, of offers to, what website do you use to find out rentals, rental income in different neighborhoods? I know a lot of people use Zillow. What is we use a combination of Zillow and MLS. Okay, and then you're funding those. You're just buying cash and then refining them afterwards. That's right. Okay, I, I don't know if our listeners have heard the acronym BRRR, B R R R, but that's our strategy. Ultimately, we buy, we renovate, we rent, we refinance. And then we repeat. Yeah. Buy, renovate, refinance, repeat. Buy, oh, renovate, rent, refinance, <laughs> repeat. And the beauty is you can pull money out of these properties, you guys, get all of your initial investment back because not all of you are in a position to go spend 200000 and have all cash to go into the deal. So you can still go with 20% down or 15% down, get into like a three-year note or even a 12-month interest only, and then after the 12 months, you refinance the loan, assuming the market continues hopefully strong, and you pull out as much equity as you can, and then you use that money to go buy the next one and then the next one. I hear so many agents say, oh, I just don't have the money to do it. Yes, you do. You just haven't taken the time to figure out how to do it. So everybody has the ability to do it. So Jennifer, you're a great example. That's awesome. Um, let's segue quick, Matt. I know, Jennifer, you talked about 
kind of reaching this point in your business where you can continue to grow without adding agents and now you have the investment wing. Are you in any other businesses and or have you thought about any other businesses like title, insurance, mortgage, interior decorating, property management, new construction, development? There's so many options. And you said you're only working two days a week in your real estate business. Are you spending the rest of that time in leisure, service, or have you started building other ventures? A few other ventures, nothing really significant. We've, we've looked at getting into title. It's a little bit difficult in North Carolina. Uh, but mm -hmm. I'm still pursuing that that segment. Okay. Um, we've also done some commercial um, investing, and we've looked, we've bid on some commercial projects. Um, cool. and, and what I mean by commercial projects, there was the, one that we bid on recently was a government entity was looking for a fleet management facility, and we found a warehouse that we could convert, we could upfit to 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 offer a fleet management facility, and we would just be the landlord, basically. So yeah. it's not very different from buy, renovate, rent. Yeah. You know, it's, it was yeah. that same idea. And so we're moving into some things like that. But awesome. for the most part, it's it's primarily two things. It's the it's the residential brokerage and um, investment residential investment properties. Yep. So you talked about how you read the MREA, let's call it 10 years ago, and you thought, holy cow, how would anyone ever net a million? Now you're close to that. You said you work two days a week. Just to get our audience members excited, share with us some of the really awesome things your family's been able to do with this newfound freedom. Well, I have um, I have four children, and mm -hmm. I've got so I've got uh, two in college, one in high school, one in middle school, and Getting to this stage has, has really been my goal is to to have more freedom to spend with to spend with my family, especially as they get older and kind of have their own lives and their own schedules and whatnot. So, you know, we we do a lot of traveling. We do um, we spend a lot of time together as a family, and I'm really enjoying this stage. So. What's your opinion? Like, what are your top two or three family trips you've gone on? Well, we just, um, our daughter just graduated from high school and we tell each of the kids when they graduate, they can go anywhere in the world they want to go. So she picked Costa Rica. Our wow. son, when he graduated two years ago, picked Japan. Both of those were amazing trips. Um, and we, we, we've been showing the kids the, the country when they were younger and we had our grand finale mm -hmm. of the United States tour. Uh, last year we went to Alaska, all six of us, and this year we wow. went to Hawaii. So those were the last two, two of our, um, Two trips of the U.S. tour. Those those were really great trips. So. That is awesome. Yep, and I love it. You know, I love spending a little bit of time talking about what this is all for, and yeah. it not just constantly being grow, 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 grow. And a lot of us, including myself, get stuck in this trap of just wanting to get bigger and grow and make more money. And we just it's what's ridiculous because what's the point of it all, right? <laughs> so yeah. growth is fun what? and the strategy around it, but we need to stop. And my mom would always say, "Stop and smell the roses." And you guys yeah. have certainly done that. I love that idea of letting the kids choose their senior trip and take them anywhere. That's that's awesome. Right. Um, my family is similar. I have three kids. They're 13, 11, 9. Every summer we pick a different destination anywhere in the world. Right. And they chose the East Coast in the United States for next year's trip. I chose South wow. Africa this year. So we spent a month in Cape Town and Victoria Falls. It was, it was really fun. But right. um, we think well, it's, just, you know, it's fun to spend time with the family. And you hit on a, another key thing in terms of, of what's it all for. Having our having more free time, it sounds like you're doing some of this too. 
on every Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, we're, we go to the gym. We, we're lifting weights. And then we go to yoga um, three days a week. And we're, we feel good. And we're taking care of our health. Yep. And we're spending time with did our Did she say it looks and, like I'm doing that too? Thank you. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Well, you, I should unbutton I, this. I, I, I actually heard you had talking about this the workout. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been hitting hard. I've been hitting hard. He, he says ever shrinking man. And I said to Matt, don't ever introduce me as ever shrinking man. Cause it's going to put pressure <laughs> on me that I have to keep shrinking because at whatever point I, I stop and I reach my point of diminishing returns, which is going to happen soon. Then I don't know how I'm going to be introduced. Then hopefully I'm growing again and adding muscle. I don't know. Yeah. So, I appreciate that. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a great All episode. Right. I do want to invite anyone listening to come and attend one of our events. We're hosting four regionals. So maybe we'll do one close to North Carolina. I actually know we do have one coming up in Charleston um, at the end of March, early April. would love to invite you. I don't know how long of a drive Charleston is, um, probably a couple hours. But we are hosting Correct. a – It's about four hours. Yeah. Okay, four hours. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd welcome to come for free. I'll buy you a ticket. But we're hosting an event Thank in Charleston you. this next year, Vegas, Miami, um, Omaha several times. So go out onto our calendar, EliteRealEstateSystems.com, and check out those upcoming events. Those are team-building workshops specifically. And then every year we host an event in Omaha. It's one of a kind where it's team-specific. It's called the Team Building Summit. You can find the link on the Elite page or it's the TeamBuildingSummit.com. We're selling tickets right now, um, early bird special. So get in on that. It's $297 um, to get the VIP ticket that's normally $497. And then, of course, Matt, I know we always invite our listeners. By the end of this year, we are trying to get 100 reviews on iTunes. I think we're up to like 75 mm-hmm. reviews right now. So if you found value in this episode, please give Jennifer a shout-out and give us a five-star review on iTunes. And, of course, any other guests in the future, everyone loves to get complimented. And uh, we really appreciated all the information you shared with our guests today. You've built an amazing team, and I know you guys are going to continue to grow. So I'm, it's going to be fun to watch you guys grow. Yeah. Well, thank you for and, having And, Jennifer, what's the best way – What's the best way to connect with you, and especially if we can send referrals to your area or anything like that, investment deals, how can we connect? You can reach me at uh, 919-602-7411 or go to our website, spencerprop.com. It's spencer and then prop.com. Wow, there's her phone number. All right. right. Don't don't bother too much. (laughs) Don't call after five, Mondays and Wednesdays only. I don't know what the rules were, but... I love it that you did that. I, I've done that a lot of times too, a long time ago. And it's amazing mm-hmm. how few of people ever reached out. So I'm never, I, I shared my phone number this morning on a podcast because I'm like one out of the entire group will. So that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to uh, to everyone that was watching live. We had a ton of people. Logan Boise dropped in. Janine Massey dropped in. So, guys, we appreciate you kind of uh, tucking in and watching live. Uh, so, for uh, for those that are not live, thanks for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever the case is. We appreciate it. You can always get the back episodes and the video versions on the website as well, EliteRealEstateSystems.com, under the podcast tab. You can check out all the back episodes there. We've done a couple of them, like the episode we did, I think, last time with the founder of Sisu, where it was super heavy on visuals and screen share. So make sure to go back to the blog page for that episode to catch the video version there. And you can do that for any of our previous episodes. So once again, Jennifer, thank you so much. Jeff, appreciate it, guys. Always and a pleasure. We'll see everybody thank on the next one. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.